and welcome to Misinformation, a trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams at Pub Quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. Hey, Jewel. Hi, Lauren. Hey, um, you know, it's it's uh, getting chilly and uh, we love those fall foods. You know, they're all coming up. And uh, one of the things that you can do in the fall, I've heard, I don't know, I've never done it before, uh-huh. is um, set up vegetables and fruits for the winter. You know, like our fourth, like in the did. olden days yeah, when like, you had a root cellar. When you, yeah, when you had a root cellar, as my mother likes to say. Aww. Uh, so uh, I thought that was a perfect time for us to bring on a very special guest yes. for uh, Guesttober. Guesttober. Which the song we will end, we will put Insert in. Insert interesting music here. Hey, everybody, Engineer Josh here. Instead of the Guesttober theme, I want to apologize for some of the audio in this week's episode. We had to record this one in the afternoon. So we gave our baby to my Mr. Information co-host, Unky Steve, to take a little nap. Unfortunately, she woke up a couple times and made some commotion that we hoped wouldn't get picked up on the mic, but it did. I did my best to take her out of the mix wherever I could, but there are some spots where it was impossible, or maybe just some I missed. I just wanted to make clear that we're not ignoring our baby to do the podcast. She was just giving the business to Unky Steve. With that out of the way, please enjoy the show. Um, but we have a wonderful guest today, uh, my former intern and uh, fermentation guru, Sam Pike. Sam. Hello. Thanks for being here. Welcome to the show, Sam. Yeah, my pleasure to be here. Uh, Sam, I first thing you guys need to know about Sam is that he was um, one of our earliest and our best interns when I was working at the RMSC. And when we first saw his, because, you know, you have to submit a CV mm-hmm. when you're an intern at the RMSC. We were very, you know, professional. And we saw his full name <laughs> on the CV. Yes. It was Samuel Gagnon Pike. And I, we were like, is this a Civil War ghost? <laughs> is he, has he lived forever? And so from there on in, and God bless Sam for being such a good sport about oh, it. yeah. We <laughs> insisted that he was a Civil War ghost. The entire time. And as long as I've known him, I mean, we, we continuously poke fun at the fact. And actually, at one point, Julie and I got drunk and made up an entire TV show. We planned him. a TV show around it. It's called The Eternal Soldier. Um, <laughs> he's been wandering the earth for the last 230 years. And the theme song is Taylor Swift's Welcome to New York. Because he, obviously, he arrives in New York. Yeah. And Copyright. <laughs> Copyright. TM, we TM, said TM. it. TM, TM, TM. <laughs> um, yeah, that's our TV show. And of course, he comes to New York, obviously, to solve uh, murders. Yes, yes. As you do. All procedure. CBS is all procedurals. I <laughs> yeah, mean, that's all. Oh, this is. is a CBS show in case you weren't, <laughs> in case I wasn't clear. Yeah. And also not for nothing, Sam, I'm so sorry. We took your IP. <laughs> so we will not be it's- paying you residuals at all. <laughs> do I at least get to play myself in the show? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And you even look like a civil war ghost. <laughs> so being a Mainer and all, but anyway, I'm so sorry to take uh, up any more of your time. Sam, please tell us what you're going to be talking to us today about. All right, so I'm Sam, and I'm going to tell you all about fermentation and the different kinds of fermentation, a little bit of the history, a little bit of the science, some of the culture, some of the contemporary stuff, too, because it's still going, it's still evolving, and it is still advancing. That's very exciting. I got to tell you, I don't know anything about fermentation neither do i i mean we've listened to people tell us about how they make wine and beer and i nothing sticks yeah it didn't stick yeah yeast something question about yeast i don't know but we're gonna find out from sam sam please take it away i cannot wait to hear 
So it sounds like you guys know a bit about like beer and wine or mm-hmm. vaguely about that. <laughs> That's about um, one of the three kind of pillars of fermentation I'm going to talk about. So wine and beer, that's made using primarily uh, yeast, the same stuff that's made to use, used to make bread, mm-hmm. and it ferments sugars into alcohol. Mm-hmm. The other two types are um, lacto-fermenting, often called pickling. That uses what's called lactobacillus. It's a type of bacteria that converts carbohydrates into um, lactic acid and a few other things, sometimes sometimes a little bit of alcohol, sometimes carbon dioxide, sometimes acetic acid, which I'll talk to talk about more later. Mm. And then the third kind is it's in America it's, def- it's broadly called koji fermenting. It's what's done to make um, like soy sauce, miso, mm. sake. Oh, okay. It's hard it's harnessing mold to ferment to yeah, I guess ferment um, things in a slightly different process. Okay. Mm. All right. So, again, feel free feel free to interrupt me at any point to get clarification or. We Sam, will. You know we will. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of assumed as much. Yeah, you're used to be at this point, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'll start with um, lacto fermenting or using lactobacillus. That is what I know the most. It's what I teach frequent workshops on. It's what I can am doing daily. If I shifted my camera slightly, you would see just a huge row of sauerkraut sitting just above my head. Yeah. Sam's, jars and jars. Yeah. Sam's Instagram is basically just bubbling jars of, of who knows what. That he like forged from the woods. Yes, exactly. Am I not wrong? You are not wrong. <laughs> the worst part is of a horrible habit of not really labeling everything. So oh, I just have no. to kind of guess what stuff is and how old it is. Oh, God. It's usually it's never not been fine. So I'm I'm safe there. Oh, okay. This jar right. is blurple. <laughs> not sure. I'm not sure if this is bad or not. Guess we'll try it. Give the good smell test and it works. Yeah. So uh, what lacto fermenting is? It's harnessing this bacteria that. It's a little bit of chemistry right here that I don't, I barely know, but um, what it does is it takes those carbohydrates like glucose, simple sugars, and which are, um, their chemical makeup is C6H12O6, mm-hmm. and breaks that down into a few other substances. The most important one being lactic acid, which is C3H6O3. Okay. And the reason of that, why this is so important, is that lactic acid, it drops the pH of the substance of the food you're making and makes it last longer. Hmm. It preserves it. Okay. So if you just left the food out normally, it would just kind of like go bad. It would rot, get bad mold, bad bacteria and smell awful. Mm -hmm. This, well, it smells awful to some people, (laughs) a lot of people, but um, it's still perfectly safe to eat. Even make some of the nutrients and minerals a lot more accessible. Oh, okay. And the way people are able to harness this bacteria so easily and have been harnessing it for thousands of years is by adding salt. So the bacteria that produces this lactic acid, it can withstand a both an acidic environment, but also a salty environment, which most things cannot do. (laughs) So by adding salt to cabbage, it's that bacteria will just quickly take over and multiply and ferment everything until it's perfectly safe. Mm, how about okay. that? That's interesting. Yeah, it's incredibly easy to do at home for like 
I mean, it was done accidentally for centuries. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, the fact like microscopes were invented till relatively recently. People really didn't know what bacteria or yeast even was. They just they kind of knew the process, but they thought it was like magic or a gift from God or something. Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah. There are a lot of different theories there. Mm-hmm. Really, just need um. So the basics for lactofermenting is a vessel. In more oldie time places, you'll see like crocs or vats of some sort. Mm-hmm. But the easiest way to do it at home is just to take a mason jar. It can be like an old pickle jar or a freshly bought mason jar and just cut up some cabbage, mix it with some salt, and just pack it in there real tight and let it ferment. So you don't have to add any liquid or anything? So we're talking about sauerkraut. You don't okay. have to add any liquid. Sauerkraut okay. was called huh. self there's enough liquid in the cabbage itself mm. that ah. just osmosis and like chopping up the cabbage breaks enough cell walls that all this water just gets leached out of the cabbage and submerges the cabbage totally in its own liquids. That's How about wild. that? I had no idea. Yeah, there are a few other vegetables like like tomatoes are the same, but something like a pickle, a cucumber, mm-hmm. um, you could slice and mash that that up but it'd be a really gross texture mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah so you leave it whole then you make what's called a salt brine which is just water and salt mixed together and just put the cucumbers in that and they just start fermenting on their own cool whoa oh man it is like magic yeah i can see why uh all our ancestors our eastern were european like, foremothers <laughs> yes we're like oh my god this is delicious and it made itself that's crazy i think this is magical this is like the most this is the easiest, most basic form of fermentation possible. Okay. Okay. Which I'm, actually reminds me to mention right now is the types of fermentation I know most are, um, they're mostly like the white European and Asian fermentation methods. Mm-hmm. There are a bunch of other cooler, more advanced, harder to do ones that you see in like a lot in like Africa and more like the India, Southeast Asia area. Okay. That like I can't i can't easily do at all i don't have the equipment the temperature the um the daringness to do it yeah oh i'm surprised sam you seem to be pretty adventurous with the uh fermentation thing but you would you would think that but um i'm only now doing stuff with the mold and oh, okay. there it, it just gets deeper like digging a pit in the ground and filling it with random stuff and letting it sit for eight months and Wow. Back in on it. Yeah. Remember we learned about uh the in Iceland that they do that with they dig a hole in the ground and they stick shark meat in it and then they oh, let yeah. it yeah. Yeah. And like then they that. let it jellify. Yeah, that must be something similar to that, right? <laughs> Probably in some ways. There's a pit involved. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I should mention that I forgot to before, it's very important to this whole lactic acid um this lacto fermenting process is this bacteria, it's it's anaerobic, meaning it works por- perfectly fine without oxygen. Mm-hmm. Okay. If anything, better without it there. Mm. So that's why you pack it tightly into jars, or you you can ferment sauerkraut and pits in the ground, or make pickles and pits in the ground if you really want. But the lack of air really helps it a lot. Mm. Okay. Cool. And usually, when I'm talking about this kind of stuff, people almost without um without failing bring up something. They thought say. Won't this give me botulism? Oh, oh, well, I didn't think of that. But Sam, won't this give you botulism? <laughs> there has never been a reported case of botulism from home fermented pickled goods in American history. Really? And I assume European history also. 
Yeah, so botulism, that it does not like anything that has it does not it does not do well in acidic or salty environments. Okay. Oh, okay. So the two things that this kind of pickling, lacto-fermenting does really well is being a salty environment and making that environment really acidic. Mm. It quickly drops down below like 3.6 pH, which is um, pretty low. Mm. Wow. Do you have all those little strips? Do you test things with the little litmus strips all the time? I never used those because I was never, I was never really afraid. I did eventually get like an electric reader for that just so I can prove to people this is too acidic for anything bad to grow. Please stop telling me it's going to kill you. <laughs> it's really, it gets incredibly annoying after a while. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Yeah, so it's really cool about this. Like the most common kinds are sauerkraut and cabbage, or yeah, sauerkraut and pickles, sometimes fermented green tomatoes. Those are like common, you see those in stores. Mm-hmm. But you can ferment just about any vegetable. Um, rhubarb, celery, carrots. I'm really blanking right now. Broccoli, kohlrabi. I think I saw you uh, pickle some green beans. Was that you? Recently? I've done that at some, not, re- yeah. not recently. I might have, I could have easily forgotten. Do you have like a, like one that, that is like a surprise favorite? Surprise favorite. Like turns out that cauliflower is very good pickled <laughs> yeah. or something. It's usually a surprise. This is kind of gross. No, like it's not like awful. It's like it got mushy or the flavors did not mix oh, well. Okay, I see. So it's it's not so much. Wow, this is surprisingly delicious. It was wow. This is not. I'm not making this again. <laughs> this is super yeah. gross. Hmm. Okay, good. Like a a pretty common one is um fermenting like uh, more citrusy fruits mm-hmm. is the lactic acid plus the citric acid. It's just really unpleasantly acidic. Mm, I, I believe that. I imagine that would like burn the inside of your mouth. Yeah, it really, it's just unpleasantly sour. <laughs> okay, good to know. And on the, I guess the one I really do enjoy that gets, that's very, getting more and more popular is fermented hot sauce. Oh. Just, yeah, fermented peppers, blend it into a hot sauce. It's getting, I'm going to say, I want to say incredibly popular, but I live in a very niche world where <laughs> I talk to people that ferment stuff every day. Yeah. So it's, people are starting to talk about it. Now. That means it'll hit us in about six years. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be like, hey, did you ever hear about this fermented hot sauce? <laughs> <laughs> Although interesting fact, the, one of the most popular hot sauces on the market is fermented Tabasco hot sauce. Oh, okay. I can see that. It has like, um like a sourness to it or like a, yeah, like a fermented quality to yeah. it. It's weird though. Cause it's fermented for years. Then it's mixed with vinegar afterwards. So it's, it's like two different, it has two different things going on right there. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So, so that is kind of a pretty good overview of lactis, lacto fermenting. Okay. okay. You can ferment basically any vegetables Really just like things with carbohydrates in it, things that get starchier, like um, sweet potatoes get kind of gross, mm. kind of weird, mushy texture. Um, well, that actually just reminded me of, I just reminded myself of, of a surprise hit was lacto-fermented French fries. <laughs> what? Yeah. So you, you take a potato, you can either ferment it whole or chop it up into the potato strips. Okay. Mm-hmm. Then that lactic acid and salt 
start getting, or the lactic acid starts getting produced, and that along with the salt get infused into the potato. Okay. So if you had like malt vinegar with French fries, uh-huh. yeah, it's like that, but it's infused into the fry. Ooh, I would eat that. And, yeah, I'd eat that. That sounds yeah. delicious. How do you how do you know when something's ready? It's a lot of t- taste okay. testing. Okay. Oh, okay. So you're digging. Yeah. You, so you're digging your dirty little fingers in your jars, <laughs> left, right, and center, and just going and taking a nibble. Is that right, Sam? I like to think my fingers aren't dirty. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I shouldn't have implied that. <laughs> Not all. Depends on the day, but uh, oh, okay. <laughs> but basically, I sometimes use a fork. But if I'm just fermenting for myself, I'll just reach in with my fingers. It's probably better for it, right? Like you know, all the good bacteria. Well, I assume my body is just covered in all that bacteria just with <laughs> exactly. how just I live. Being around it so much, yeah, exactly. <laughs> just it's become part of me. <laughs> so yeah, that, that's that's a great surprise hit and one of the easier ferments to do. Really, just chop up a potato, put it in a salt brine. There are countless recipes you can find online for like ratios and stuff. So I won't go too deep into that. Mm, but sure. the basic is like you measure everything out, then three percent of all that weight you add is uh, salt. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. But we're going to see that on start hitting menus soon. I bet it will. Lacto-fermented. Sam, TM, TM, TM. Yeah, TM, 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 <laughs> Sam Pike. I, I definitely did not... Uh, invent it? Um, no. Yeah, I did not invent it. Plenty of like super fancy high-end restaurants do this. Oh, okay. Um, I tried to convince a few to, to do it in Wisconsin, but... Um, I no think there's good. some legal issues with just letting potatoes sit out in like salty water. Hmm. Without shoving, without covering them completely in cheese when you're in <laughs> yeah, Wisconsin. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. So. <laughs> Especially in Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so now to move on to the um, next kind of, kind of facet of fermentation is the yeast fermentation, is the beer, wine, and bread world. Okay. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, beer and wine, probably the most widely, con- well, the most, probably the most widely consumed fermented thing in the world. I have no numbers for that, but I'm assuming looking at alcohol consumption mm-hmm. in the world, I would guess that. <laughs> yeah. bread, bread might compete with it a little, but um, I think I could drink a few glasses of beer more than I could, more quickly <laughs> than I could eat a loaf of bread. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> yeah. But both go through the same process. They start with relatively simple sugars that get eaten up by yeast and then converted into CO2, alcohol, and sometimes some other things. Mm-hmm. That's really the whole process. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why a beer and wine are such an ancient food yeah. stuff, right? Because it's just so dead simple. You could make it by accident, kind of like with the cabbage. It's almost yeah. accidental that it you could come up with that. Well, it, um, it arguably is accidental. The... Um, Bread and bread and beer. People, there's a lot of discu- there's an ongoing discussion about which came first, mm-hmm. because both could very easily be made accidentally. Mm-hmm. You have your grains that you just domesticated, and you have that in a big bin, hoping it will last you the year. And some water gets in it, suddenly starts turning into beer, and it's probably maybe not delicious at that point, but. <laughs> Makes you feel good. Yeah, drinkable <laughs> so that you can get the effects. Yeah. And we did have, um, we have had two other guest episodes on here that um, talked about beer and wine. So if you want to learn more about that and you haven't listened to them yet, you can check out um, our episode with Andres Viscara and our episode with Garrett Casenza yep. on 
um, intoxicants and wine. Yeah. Did either happen to mention the fermented food drink, the fermented drink that predates human history or humanity at all? I don't think so. I don't think so. I feel like I remembered that. It is mead. Oh, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just fermented honey. So there are records of honey just coming out of a bee nest or beehive. That's the word. Yeah, they call it the (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Sam. (laughs) (laughs) Getting stuck in like a nook in a tree, then rain coming along, diluting it. And honey has all these natural yeasts and bacteria in it that just will... Once the honey starts to get diluted, they'll start, just start fermenting away and making mead. And then there are records of birds and bees drinking that and getting drunk. <laughs> just like flying right <laughs> Yeah, slamming themselves into things. Yeah. Okay, I can see that for sure. So it, it predates human, like, interaction at all. Totally, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Wow, I never thought about it like that. Yeah. That's cool. Drunk animals. Yeah. <laughs> So now, yeah, that all is very simple. I'll let expert brewers talk more about that in other of your episodes. But there's another stage that happens with wine and beer that I've been doing a lot recently. It's turning that into vinegar. Oh, okay. Oh. So I talk all about lactic acid when talking about um, sauerkraut and pickles. <laughs> and that is lactic, yeah, lactic acid, like I just said. What vinegar is, it's acetic acid and what acetic acid is there's it's basically alcohol that's been converted into acid unlike lacto fermenting this is a totally aerobic process meaning it's the more oxygen oxygen Mm -hmm. the better Mm -hmm. so you take your wine basically just let it sit out you can stir it there's some really cool advanced techniques where you put those like fish tank air bubblers oh yeah Weird. You stick it right in your alcohol and let it sit for a week and boom, you have some vinegar. That's crazy. So you're you're forcing more air to be exposed to the to the wine or the beer. Yes, and it just ferments natural ferments naturally into vinegar. Cool. And I bring up vinegar primarily for one reason is when you talk about pickling, it can mean two different things. Okay. It can mean lacto fermenting. Or it could mean just putting vegetables in vinegar. Okay. And both are, well, both are relatively common. You see, most pickles you see in the grocery store are from just this vin- pickles and vinegar. Mm-hmm. They are, have a very distinctly different taste. Mm-hmm. The lactic acid versus the acidic acid have different sour flavors to them. Which one do you prefer? That, that's hard to say. I I think I prefer lactic acid, though. Lactic acid fermented pickles. Okay. I, I, do. I guess I don't know if I've ever had one. Yeah, I don't think I've ever had a lacto-fermented pickle then. I mean, I guess I'm not that adventurous with my pickles. But. You might have. You might have just not known, though. Oh, true. Yeah. A lot okay. of, like, gourmet burger and sandwich shops will have lacto-fermented pickles. Oh, okay. You can find them on most grocery shelves, even. All right. Did you bring any, when we were at RMSC, did you bring us any pickles? I know you brought us some kombucha that you made at one point. Kombucha? I think I might have brought 
either brought you ginger beer or I just tantalized you with ginger beer. <laughs> no, I think you brought us ginger beer and it was very delicious. I do remember that. I remember not okay. loving the kombucha, but that's just personal preference. Because nothing to do with oh, your someone process. Someone blew a hawker in your, <laughs> yeah, in your like, teeth. Did you spit in this, Sam? You have to tell me if you spit in this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think I brought pickles though. No, I think, yeah, I think it was just beverages. Yeah, I really started pickling like the year I graduated undergrad Mm -hmm. and then just it went off from there yeah it really was it out of interest or necessity (laughs) i honestly don't know i think it was like out of boredom okay i was like done with school i'm like what am i gonna do with myself i'll make some pickles (laughs) yeah i'm gonna be useful i'm gonna make some pickles (laughs) it's the one thing i haven't done in my 230 year lifespan Well, it's only nowadays that the modern man really has to cook. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah that's true. I could just surf by mm-hmm, and just mm-hmm. <laughs> go to war, do whatever, not cook a thing. Exactly. Yeah. Now I actually have to do stuff. Yeah. That's a shame. It's a rough life. I should have invested better over those 200 years. <laughs> yeah, I know. You could have been a billionaire by now, Sam. Easily. <laughs> oh, I probably wouldn't make good investments. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> All right, so talked about lacto-fermenting. We've mm-hmm. talked about yeast-fermenting very briefly. Now we're going to talk about mold-fermenting. I'm very Ooh. interested in this. And it's kind of um, disingenuous to say we're just starting to talk about mold. It's because yeast is actually a single-celled mold. Mm. Okay. So all your bread, all your beer and wine, that's just made using mold. Mm. Yum. Which it's, yeah. Makes it a lot grosser to think about. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But still delicious. I'll still drink it every, many days of the week. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You can say every day. It's all right. <laughs> it's okay. There's no judgment. <laughs> These here. are weird times, Sam. <laughs> Depends on the week. <laughs> all right. So we're going to talk about, uh, I, remember, I guess, just mold fermenting. There's a few different, two different methods I'll talk about. The main one is, it's in America, it's just called koji. Okay. Okay. It's, it's harnessing this type of bacteria or sorry, this type of mold that I am probably going to mispronounce, Aspergillus orzae. I sciency words. I don't really know how it works. It's it's the mold I can easily get. Okay. <laughs> so it's a unlike these other things that have really been like maybe a one stage process or two or three stages max. This is a much more convoluted process. Okay. First, the first step is getting this mold and just propagating it. And you need to do that by propagating it on either rice or barley. Hmm. So you take some rice or barley, you cook it, you cook it so it's um, it's more easy, the mold can more easily penetrate and get in there. Okay. So you cook the rice and you mix in the mold spores into it and you just let that grow. Hmm. You let it go to sporulation where it's like get that nice white fuzzy layer on top that's what you want are you doing this in your house i did once (laughs) i might do it again but uh i don't it's not it's just weird to do yeah okay unlike these other things that take weeks or even months to do this process just take that process that phase it just takes 24 sometimes 48 hours Wow. wow (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's super fast. You have to be keep your eyes totally focused on it. Mm. 
And this is just like the foundational phase for this. What you what it's doing is it's this mold is producing a few different substances. It's producing some more sciencey words I will probably mispronounce. Amylase, protease, and lipase. What these three things do is they all break down other substances. Okay. The first one, amylase, it breaks down starches into sugars. Okay. The second one, protease, it breaks breaks down proteins into amino acids. Mm-hmm. The third one, lipase, produce, breaks down fats into fatty acids. Okay. So it basically just breaks stuff down to its very most basic components. Okay. And that's when the next phase starts. You have this big brick, usually a brick of moldy like rice or barley, and you you dehydrate it out so the mold stops like Growing. molding. It, yeah. doesn't, it doesn't go bad or even worse, <laughs> <laughs> as some might say. Mm-hmm. And you mix it in with usually some, most commonly soybeans mm-hmm. to make uh, miso. These. So oh. Mix that mold in there, mix in the miso, and just pack it into a vat and let it sit. And I think I saw, did you, I'm positive you did, but did you ever watch um, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat? Um, I did, yes. Yeah, and so she goes to um, like a miso place and like um, a soy sauce place. And I love miso and soy sauce, but like the miso thing was like this mm-hmm. beautiful, rich yellow miso that had been fermenting for like months or something wow. like that. And it was like super expensive miso, but um, yeah, it looked delicious. But yeah, it was just in like a barrel, like a deep barrel. Yeah. Yeah. It's just moldy, moldy beans sitting in a barrel for, you said a few months, but they go for most commonly a few years at the minimum. Wow. 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 I bet it's delicious, though. It is, yeah. Talk about patience I don't have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, so all the starches, any proteins in that get broken down to amino acids and sugars. And then there's also a lot of salt mixed in there. I forgot to mention that. And that just helps preserve it better so it doesn't get other bad molds in there. And... You just have this like thick paste of salty amino acids and sugars, sugars that slowly convert to other acids, and it's just absolutely delicious. It spread across the entire world. Um, so it sounds like a lot of those things are are what give us that umami flavor. Yeah, yeah, right. Oh yeah, definitely. All this fermentation stuff gives you like a really nice umami flavor, mm. and just the uh, this whole this whole koji process takes. Since it takes just years to make, you can do it at home pretty relatively easily, but you need like a stable living environment. Okay. Mm. Me, I've been moving around a lot for the last like 10 years, so it's been kind of hard for me to do. Mm-hmm. But there's one really cool style of making this miso that I can make in three months and it's at its peak ripeness. It's taste, best tasting. Oh, okay. And so you don't need it to be like many, many years of stuff. No, no. So, as I said before, soybeans are the most common one. Mm-hmm. But you can do this with any starchy vegetable, any vegetable or legume or various other things. Mm-hmm. If you do it with, I like to do it with corn, though. Oh, really? Yeah. So, like your normal sweet corn, 
people say it's like the best, the fresher it is. The fresher it is, the better it is. Mm-hmm. That's because the second you take sweet corn off the stock, all those sugars in it start converting to starches. Okay. Oh, okay. So it's losing all that nice, really like juicy, sweet flavor. But what you do, you mix it with this uh, koji, this, back, this mold, mm-hmm. this moldy rice, and it converts those starches right back into sugars. Oh, so, okay. So it kind of reverses the process almost. It does, which is really cool. So you either want your corn as fresh as possible or three months old and covered in mold. <laughs> <laughs> okay. People are like, ah, we're going to have fresh corn at, mm-hmm. at our picnic. And Sam's like, no, no, give it to me in three months when it's covered in mold. <laughs> or I won't have it at all. Okay. So I actually had some of my corn miso last night, actually. And it's one of my favorite ways to pair, use corn miso is with fresh corn. Okay. Oh, a nice little mix there. Oh, nice. Corn two ways, if you will. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we, we made corn pancakes last night, and I mixed up some corn tamari, which I'll explain in a second, with maple syrup, and used that as a drizzle on the corn pancakes. Oh, my gosh. Sounds delicious. That does sound delicious, actually. So tamari. That is actually a byproduct of miso. So you have this, you start out, you have cooked corn, which is somewhat moist, mixed in with this dried out moldy rice and some and salt. Mm-hmm. It's usually about like 15, 20% by weight of the full product as salt. Mm. So that's five times as much salt that you commonly see in sauerkraut or pickles. So it's a lot saltier. Okay, okay. So over time, all that salt slowly spreads out evenly throughout the whole thing of miso. And there's some osmosis going on and all the liquids slowly leach out and pool at the top of the solid mass of miso. And that is called tamari. Super prized. It's a super prized product. Everyone loves it. And it actually became so popular that they started making miso that would make more and more tamari. And miso eventually became the side product, uh, byproduct of that. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, we use tamari in recipes. Oh, yeah? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this tamari that's, this new thing that's being made with tamari as the final product in mind, that's called soy sauce. Oh, okay. Okay. That makes sense. So yeah, it's called like soy sauce, shoyu sauce. There's a bunch of names for it. It's a lot of confusing terminology. Mm-hmm. But all this stuff happened centuries ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, as trade became more common across the world, mm-hmm. those sauces became much more popular than the actual miso. Interesting. Huh, okay. But miso's history is much all that stuff happened in the last like three or four centuries but miso's history is much longer and weirder (laughs) the stuff that predates miso it's called well i'm gonna mispronounce this too it's called uh jiang it originated in china and so miso is just mixing mold with beans like soybeans Mm -hmm. but these earlier forms were there was there was meat and fish in there and oh, wow. various other vegetables all just mixed together and fermented mm-hmm. all together. 
Mmm, yum. <laughs> yeah, like a, a delicious <laughs> fermented casserole of... <laughs> kind of just like a garbage can. Yeah, like a gar- or a garbage plate, a fermented garbage plate. You would know about that, Sam. Basic, I, I do, yeah. Basic, I only ever had one while living in Rochester, but... Then you escaped That's with all your I life. <laughs> you only needed one. <laughs> yeah, so these early misos, they were had a lot of things going on. I've never tried one, but... They, they sound like they might be good. Yeah, I mean, people, you'll try anything. Yeah, People spend hundreds of dollars on dry-aged steaks, which are just steaks that are left out to basically have their um, proteins break into those amino acids. So the same process that this miso process does. So oh, okay. Huh. I assume it'd be equally delicious. I haven't spent hundreds of dollars on a steak yet, but... <laughs> It's only a matter of time, Sam. He can do it himself. Yeah, you could do it yourself. I bet you could just dry age a steak, right? You could. I would need to like totally mix up my refrigerator to do that. Okay. And it's already half filled with kombucha and beer, mm. so it might mm-hmm. get tricky. I have a lot of I have some priorities I have to follow first. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah. So there's another relatively common type of mold fermented food. It's called tempeh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you you guys, have you had tempeh before? It's like tofu. Is it like tofu? Is it like tofu, Sam? It's it's from the similar cultures. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So we'll say yeah. I don't think I've ever had tempeh before. I don't think. But first off, tofu is basically just bean. It's basically just bean cheese. Okay. Okay. Bean cheese. Soy. It's soy beans cooked down, turned into curds, and then turned into blocks of vegan cheese basically okay that's a very basic explanation Mm -hmm. of that it's probably like half wrong but i don't (laughs) make tofu what tempeh is is they take a usually soybeans once again and inoculate it with another kind of mold called the genus rhizopus okay and there are a bunch of different kinds of this rhizopus that they can use to make your tempeh what it does is it creates all that sporulating mold that we had with the koji and it forms a solid brick basically of these soybeans. So unlike with the miso where you first saw, where you first fermented the barley with the mold and then mix that with the soybeans, mm-hmm. you're skipping that first step entirely and just making this solid brick of mold, moldy beans. But and that's tempeh. Yes. <laughs> and it's delicious. What would you, Take what kind of um, uh, application would you use tempeh for? There's a lot of different ones. A really cool, like modern contemporary one is people are making really cool vegan burgers out of it. Oh, okay. Because it's, it's um, breaking these proteins down into their amino acids. So like that really, those really delicious flavors you get in really good beef. Oh, okay. And you can, it, it, uh, makes a solid form in whatever kind of container you're making it in. So you can get like silicon burger molds and make your tempeh in that. Most people use like plant leaves and like, or plastic bags and just makes these more like big rectangular pieces. But yeah, they're so use like use them as crackers, meat substitutes. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it has a, a wide variety of applications. <laughs> wide variety. Yes. And, you can do a lot of different things with them. You can use sweet potato and then make um, like purple. 
You can make purple and orange sweet potato tempeh that's like really beautiful colors. Oh, cool. You can mix like other dried night nuts in there. So like some nice green pistachios mixed in, like mm. almost cool rainbows of colors. Cool. This is the newest thing I've started doing. So it's the least I've explored and know about. Mm-hmm. But it's a very interesting thing to talk about. Cool. So you've been making that. So you've been making tempeh at home or making tempeh at work. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've been trying to convince some restaurants to let me make it for them. Also, <laughs> <laughs> I've had limited success. I mean, you're in Portland, so it's only a matter of time before Portland, some... Maine. To clarify, yeah, Portland, Maine. Oh, I'm sorry, but yeah, I mean, Portland, Maine has its has its own, you know, population of old hippies who would just love some tempeh burgers. It does. I think there might be a food truck doing that. Honestly, <laughs> there's a food truck for anything out, everything out here. That's true. Exactly. That's true. And so that's the whole mold world. That's it's a cool world, but it's not the thing I know the most about. Mm-hmm. But what I do know a lot about that we talked about in one of our brief intermissions was kombucha, mm-hmm. which I'm drinking right now. Yes, it's a beautiful, bright, bright pink melon color. Oh, it's beautiful. We used forged choke berries to make this one. Sam, shut up. (laughs) Did you tell Sam about the time we almost died? (laughs) I don't think I told you about... Did I tell you about the time we almost died from eating berries off of a bush in the Adirondacks? I don't think so. Okay, so we went to the Adirondacks with Steve, and Steve was like, this is this kind of berry. This is this kind of berry. showing us all this stuff. After one day, we were like... We got this. We could score. We're very food. smart. We are great we got at nature. this. And so we were going on a hike and we get out of the car and we start walking up the trail and we're like, Ooh, these look good. Ooh, these look like blackberries. And we were like, num, 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 And Steve was like, what are you doing? And we were like, we're eating these blackberries, Steve. And he goes, those aren't. And we were like horrified. And we were like, the word you... That best come out of your mouth next is poison. Those aren't poison. (laughs) But uh, it did turn out that they were not poisonous. We are still here on this earth. But that that was the first and last time I That we confidently went and plucked something out of the woods and just shoved it right in our maws. Yeah. yeah. Because until this very moment, I have never heard of a choke berry. So you f- you foraged some choke berries with your giant straw hat <laughs> somewhere in the Portland, Maine region and turned them into kombucha is what you're telling us. Yes. Sadly, I lost my straw hat. Oh, I do no. have, a felt- I have a felted hat now. Oh, good. Okay. Similar, but different. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Warmer, not as cooling as the straw yes. hat. Yes. Good for rain. Oh, okay. I got you. <laughs> Did you make it yourself? I, I I don't do fiberware. Oh, okay. Or whatever whatever felting falls under. Yeah, no, that's a fiber. That's a fiber art. That's a fiber art. I got it right. I, I learned some things. Good. <laughs> so for people like me who are afraid of kombucha, what would you what would you say to entice them to give it a try? Mm-hmm. Well, it's not going to make you sick. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you're batting a thousand, Sam. <laughs> That's the first draft. <laughs> My greatest seller is it makes a great cocktail. Oh, yeah. That's that, that's Donna exactly sold. what you need to say to people. Find like a nice ginger kombucha, mix that with vodka, maybe some lime. It's like a Moscow mule, basically. All right. Yeah, I'd do that. Well, where sugar theoretically has some probiotics in it. Just healthy. Yeah, it's healthy. Health. 
A healthy cocktail. Healthy cocktail mixer. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. All right, I'm into that. Yeah, healthy cocktail mixer. That's a good way to advertise kombucha. Mm -hmm. Victory sip from Sam. (laughs) (laughs) So we talked about foraging and cocktails with kombucha, but to actually make it is actually obscenely easy. Mm. You go to the store, get yourself a bottle of unpasteurized, fresh kombucha. If you can get like from a local kombuchery or whatever it's called. I should know I work at one. A kombuchery. <laughs> That's what I call it inter- internally. I don't know what it's called externally. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Maybe just a fermentary. So yeah, you just get that bottle of kombucha from the store or fermentary and you mix it with sweetened black tea. Of course, look up the ratios online. It's relatively easy to do. Mm-hmm. And let it sit for a week. Put that into bottles. Let that sit for another week, and you got some nice fizzy kombucha. All right. That sounds So kind of similar to, like, making your own yogurt. Like, yeah. you get some starter, and then mm-hmm. you can kind of propagate it on yeah. your own. Basically, yeah, it's very similar to making yogurt. All right. Different equipment different way of eating it and or consuming it i should He's say like not at all like yogurt julia <laughs> <laughs> good try though <laughs> there's bacteria there's yeast involved yeah probiotics it's healthy yeah exactly it's been being made for thousands of years just like beer and wine and a lot of other fermented things it's amazing basically it's i mean it's all was basically made by accident i don't think there are very few ferments that were made intentionally at first. Okay. Mm. Like sauerkraut, they were just trying to preserve their cabbage. Yeah. Um, beans, they just want their beans to not go bad. Or miso, they want their beans not to go bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Beer is a, I guess beer, it might have happened accidentally, but it became very intentionally after a while. Mm-hmm. There's some <laughs> complex steps there. There's, you have to, yeah, it's very it's more complex than I make it out to be. <laughs> Good. Very cool. Yeah. And you do this all at home. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, I do it for work also, but I've been doing it at home for years. It's super easy to do at home. Just make sure you're living with someone that doesn't mind the occasional funky smell or jar of mold. <laughs> well, that's that's an understanding uh, roommate <laughs> or partner. Understandable. Yeah, yeah. Um. What was I going to say? Oh, Sam, tell us about where you work. So I work at a relatively, I actually don't know what the size of it is. It's a brewery, a fermentary in Portland, Maine. It's called Urban Farm Fermentary. We make beer, cider, mead, kombucha, gruets, which are unhopped beer, and jun, which is like kombucha, but instead of using cane sugar and black tea or using honey and green tea oh that sounds good too yeah so we make a lot of different things cool and what do you do there you're just a fermenter i do i I wear like 10 different 10 different figurative hats there Mm, okay so i'm doing i sometimes doing sales sometimes helping brew and forage sometimes just manning the sales counter all right cool that's awesome sam and we're all everything's downsized right now, so mm-hmm. skeleton crew means you gotta do a bit of everything. Yeah, so if you're in Portland, Maine, go and check out the fermentary and say hello to Sam. He's been around a long time. <laughs> he could tell you stories. Not in Portland, but in other places. 
That's true. That's true. So that's about everything I have to teach you all about fermenting. But I do have a quiz for both of you. I'm very excited about this quiz. Please tell us what this quiz is about. Um, So I thought about making it just about fermented stuff, but I kind of got bored thinking about that because it'd be a lot of sciencey words or Mm -hmm. like words from different countries that I can't pronounce. Mm Mm-hmm. So just a bunch of words I can't pronounce. Sure. (laughs) So I decided to make it about food in general. Great. And I enlisted some help from my art history friends and history friends to get some more varied fun questions. Awesome. We're very excited. Take it away. All right. Because the single other podcast I watched of you all was um, the person there gave a name to their quiz. I decided to name my quiz also because I had a good name in mind. Okay. Green eggs with Sam. (laughs) Sam, that's amazing. I cannot wait. Yes. Take it away. Question one. Charles Darwin was notorious for his love of eating exotic meats. Which exotic animal did he consider the very best meat that I ever tasted? Question two. What type of paint is often made with egg yolks? Question three. In what city is Clace Olderberg's famous piece, Spoon Bridge and Cherry, located in? Question four. Hot sauces often have incredibly weird names. Which of these five are real and which are fake? Butt sauce. Smash my ass and call me Sally. Satan's enema. Sir fart a lot. Uncle Leo's heat enhancer. Question five. What city was Marizo Catalan's famous piece of art, The Comedian, better known as a banana duct tape to a wall, first seen in? Question six. In what year was Andy Warhol's Campbell's Soup Cans first exhibited in? Question 7. In what decade was the canning method of food preservation invented? Bonus points for by who and for what purpose? Question 8. How many years was margarine banned in Wisconsin? Question 9. Where was sauerkraut, or just lacto-fermented white cabbage, first invented, or first made? And question 10, where I got the green eggs from. Century eggs, an egg known for having a dark green yolk and the whites turned dark brown, are made by preserving eggs in five ingredients. Can you name any of the five? We'll give you about a minute to think about it, and then Sam will be back with our answers.
Sam, I love how you could not get through the names of those hot sauces. <laughs> I didn't think it would be that hard. <laughs> All right. All right. Let's All right. Give, give it a go. Let's, let's give, give it a go. go. I feel, we were nodding at each other on some of them. Yeah. Like, okay, yeah. all right. I feel all right about this, but. Yeah, I, I thought some might be like too easy and some might be obscenely hard. That's great. That's a great mix. That's we perfect. Love that. Yeah. All right. Give us the questions again and we'll try and answer them one by one. All right. All right. So question one, Charles Darwin was notorious for his love of eating exotic meats. Which exotic animal did he consider the very best I had ever tasted? I mean, my first instinct would be human man. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> to serve man. Yeah, yeah to serve man. Um, let's see. I don't know. For the first thing I thought of was kangaroo, but oh, I don't know. See, the first thing I thought of was the giant Galapagos tortoise. You think he ate them? I mean, I don't know. He seemed to really like meats. Oh, boy. All right, let's go with kangaroo. Because I, I really don't like the idea of him eating a Galapagos tortoise or turtle. We'll say kangaroo. Yeah, is it kangaroo? It's not. It was not. It was the a goatee. It's a 20-pound rodent. Ew. Ooh. Gross. How's that he spelled? A-G-O-U-T-I. Ooh. Oh, wow. Yeah. He did also eat the, sea tur- the turtles and armadillos, which he claimed tasted a lot like duck. This guy didn't want to write anything about uh, evolution. He just wanted to eat he just wanted everything. To eat his way around the world. What a well, genius. In college, he was in a club was called like the Gluttons Club and they just ate exotic meats. Oh my god, gross. They disbanded when they tried owl meat, which was I guess indescribably bad. <laughs> they were like that's, that's it. it. No more. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, now I'm very curious to try owl meat, honestly. Oh god. How, so, how gross is it? <laughs> that's weird. Yeah, you're you're right. We don't really we don't really hear about people shooting owl, owl for <laughs> for snacks. For, mm. no. Yeah. All right, on to question two. What type of paint is often made with egg yolks? Well, that's tempera. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know how hard that would be. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's good. All right. Then question. Uh, question three, in what city is Clace Olderberg's famous piece, Spoonbridge and Cherry, located in? Um, th- I do know this one. I don't, I don't know what that piece I is. Because I visited it. Yeah. It's, uh, it's also known as Cherry Spoonbridge, and it's by Klaus Ald- Oldenburg. Uh, it's okay. I know. You wouldn't, you wouldn't need to know. Um, Not it's, uh, <laughs> it's in um, Minneapolis. Exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. What does it look like? It looks like a giant spoon uh-huh. with a cherry in the bowl. Oh. Yeah, it's it's a nothing. is it a sculpture? Yeah. Oh, okay. Nice. All right. All right. Question four. The one I'm dreading to read again. <laughs> right. Hot sauces often have incredibly weird names. Which of these five are real and which are fake? Okay. okay. Just give us one at a time and we'll tell you what we think. Okay, okay go ahead. Butt sauce. Butt like like Two behind. Teas. It's pronounced, it's spelled B-H-U-T. Oh, Uh, I bet that's real. I bet that's real. Yeah, it's, it loses its, (laughs) what do you actually spell it out? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) All right, the second one, smash my ass and call me Sally. If you made this up, Sam, I would be very disappointed in you. I'm going to say that's real. I'm going to say it's real. Yeah, that's real. It is real. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Now he can't, this one he can't get through. He's too giggly. (laughs) 
Just the, that, that one always gets me, the second one. <laughs> All right, Satan's enema. That's got to be real. That's got to be real. Is it real? It's, it's fake. I <gasps> Google it often. <laughs> Just to see if it's a real hot sauce yet. <laughs> Sam. <laughs> he Googles it often. The, Often's not the right word. Maybe three times total. <laughs> uh, you're, the FBI agent who's he's watching a, you is like, this guy a is alert a, for Satan's enema. He's, got, <laughs> he's waiting. Yeah, the FBI's got their eyes on you for that, for, for sure. Very, very different reasons than most people. This guy is sick. <laughs> <laughs> right, next one, Sir Fartalot. I mean, I'm going to say that's fake. Julia hates this. <laughs> Julia doesn't like gross talk, poop talk. What do you think, Jewel? I bet it's fake. I'll say, we'll say I'm going to say fake. It's real. Oh, God. There are so many fart-related hot sauces <laughs> I learned today. It's insane. It's insane. <laughs> I'm so sorry you had to do that. Then lastly, Uncle Leo's heat enhancer. I'm going to say yes, that's real. Sure. It's real. Okay. I just want to throw a tame one in there. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, thanks. <laughs> thanks for that. Can you imagine being like, you have your eggs, yeah, and you're like, honey, can you grab me a bottle of Sir Farts a lot out of the cupboard? <laughs> like, what are you doing with that? <laughs> I mean, I feel like most hot sauces that are sold are just for the name only. Like, no one's opening them up and eating them, right? Like, it's just like a tourist <laughs> thing. Yeah, it's like a good weird gift. Yeah, <laughs> like a weird stocking stuffer or whatever. Basically. Yeah. Or you're really into fermented hot sauces like I am. and That's true. And then you get that as a gift. Yeah. Because people (laughs) just know you like hot sauces. (laughs) The next question, I'm going to abbreviate it because I can't pronounce the names, um, (laughs) is where was the piece of art that was just a banana duct tape to a wall first seen? I think it was Miami. Yeah, I think that was, uh, yeah, that was Basel, Miami, I think. Yes, exactly. Miami, yeah. Okay. I have not been keeping track of how many you got right. That's all right. We don't <laughs> we don't keep score. It's just for funsies. Cool, cool. All right, next. This is question seven. In what decade was the canning method of food preservation invented? Bonus points for by who and for what purpose? <sighs> okay. Okay. It's later than we think. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Um I'm going to say, like, I, I think 20th century, right? I I want to say the Nestle Company. Okay. And milk. Ooh, that's a good, that's a good guess. And, like, 1880s. Ooh, okay. 1880s? All right, I could see that. All right, 1880s, Nestle Company, milk. Okay. Um, none like, of that is no. right. <laughs> It was in 1809 by Nicolas Aperet for use for the um, French military and navy. Oh, wow. Okay. It did become home canning became possible in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Mm-hmm. Okay. Where people started doing that to preserve their food. Oh, so okay. home canning, yeah, that's you got the time period pretty right. Interesting. I didn't realize that um, like industrial canning came before home canning. Yeah, it takes, they're like slightly different processes. Mm-hmm. So um, just came, they thought, figured out how to do it easier. Mass produced glass jars with wax lids and stuff. Oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Huh. And 
call back to something I was talking about before, canning is how people get botulism. Oh, yes. Okay. If they don't make it acidic enough, then the and there's no salt, and then there's no air in it, that's where botulism grows and gets you. I see. Okay. So be be wary when making when canning at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Plenty of great guides nowadays, though. Yeah. All right. Question eight. How many years was margarine banned in Wisconsin? <laughs> I bet it's still banned in Wisconsin. <laughs> no, 150 years. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say like 20 years. Okay. It's 20 years. 72 years. <gasps> Is it is it still illegal or is it? It's it's legal now. Oh, okay. You don't have to go down to Illinois to buy it. <laughs> oh you get arrested for like putting like oleo bringing, your- Yeah, bringing margarine across state lines. Like I remember when I first read that margarine used to come like as a white block and it would come with a little packet of coloring. Yes. So that they would like mix it up so that it, it looked-, looked more like butter. And that was like blew my mind. It's the grossest thing. I think actually, I might have misinterpreted that question. I think it's actually yellow margarine that was banned in Wisconsin, not white margarine. Oh, <laughs> I see. That makes sense. Be, so that you wouldn't confuse it with uh, butter. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, which is a, a native product. Yeah. Yes. It's crazy. The dairy, the dairy state had to protect their, yeah. one of their biggest products. Yeah. None of wow. this fake stuff. Interesting. Huh. All right. The next question, number nine, where was sauerkraut? first invented by sauerkraut i mean lacto-fermented what cabbage not um the german word mm. i mean i'm gonna say it's gonna be your people it might be it's gotta be my people uh yeah i'm gonna, I'm gonna say poland yeah <laughs> northern china mongolia oh that's yeah. cool. what mongolia that's yeah, so the, wild the whole brassica plant that cabbage is in it was indigenous to Asia, then it would slowly traveled west, west. with the uh, Mongolians. Wow. I had no idea. That's interesting. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, much older than you think. Hmm. I forget the exact date, but it's much older than you think. <laughs> Good to know. Now, question 10. The century egg, an egg known for having a dark green yolk and a dark brown exterior are made by preserving eggs in five ingredients can you name any of the five pretty sure salt is one of them uh, i'm gonna say yeah, an ash i think is yeah one. yeah yeah great all right ash salt yeah. yes both correct yes. yes other three are clay quicklime and rice hulls mm, mm. quicklime delicious <laughs> <laughs> The best, all the best foods have it. Yeah, all the best <laughs> foods have clay and ash in them. <laughs> wow, wow! I feel like I've learned so much today. Thank you, Sam. That was wonderful. Thanks for having me. Well, uh, best of luck with your fer- fermentary, fermentory. Thank you. And yep. when we're able to travel again, we're gonna come check it out. Oh yeah, we'll definitely come and visit you because we have definitely talked about going up to Maine. Yeah, if I mean the whoopie pies. Uh, if nothing else, the whoopie pies, Sam. Sam. There. There are whoopie pie shops, like, there are at least two in Portland. Great. And Sam, please eat a whoopie pie for us very soon. I'm concerned about your lack of whoopie pie intake. <laughs> <laughs> the, the urge is over. It's going to overtake me soon. Yeah, it'll take you. It'll get you. <laughs> I'm like a werewolf with the full moon out. 
Exactly. <laughs> Only the moon is a whoopie pie, a giant, beautiful whoopie pie. Um, well, it. thanks so much to Sam. And uh, thank you guys uh, for listening. Yeah. We'll, we'll catch, catch you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.